Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insight Peterborough for May 25th, 2020, which, believe it or not, is the last Monday in May. Being kind of locked down as we are, uh, it seems that April and May have just sped by. I don't know why, but they, but they have. I'm Devin Wilkins. And I do want to tell you that Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, otherwise known as CCB. And if you'd like to learn more about the CCB, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com, ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. Well, we're going to be digging back into the archives for our interviews today, but they are as appropriate today as they were last June, where um, they originally were done. June is Acquired Brain Injury Awareness Month, and uh, last year, our previous co-host, Simon Trevoranis, in fact, it was one of the last things he did on Insight Peterborough. He chatted with some people from the local chapter of the Brain Injury Association, and we are going to play most of the interview. The last part of the interview had to do with events that were taking place last year, so we won't play that, but still, you have... 20-odd minutes of uh, good information about about brain injury. So here is Simon at the uh, Brain Injury Association here in Peterborough. So I'm joined with uh, Terrell, Nicole, Elaine, and Melanie here at the uh, Brain Injury Association of Peterborough Region. So hello, everyone. Hello. hello. So, uh, so where are we? What's going on here? Well, uh, you're at the Brain Injury Association, um, and uh, you're in our boardroom right now, and we are very, very happy to have you here, Simon, to talk about brain injury. Um, we're really excited. This is a, an exciting time of year, um, in particular for us, because we're coming up to June Brain Injury Awareness Month, and so we have lots of, of things that have been happening and lots of things that will be happening to raise awareness for brain injury. So. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Let's definitely get to that in a bit. So who else do we have in the room? So I'm Elaine Dublin. Um, I am someone who uh, experiences brain injury. Um, I have one as a result of a motor vehicle accident. And I this place has been a great source of uh, support during that time. Okay, okay. Hi, I'm Nicole. Uh, I am an occupational therapist, and I've been working with people with brain injury in the community for about nine years now. Um, And I joined the board of the Brain Injury Association, which is how I originally became connected to it. Uh, That was in 2012. Uh, And I'm I'm not on the board anymore. I uh, resigned last fall. Uh, And since then, I've been running uh, a support group for people with brain injury uh, out of the association uh, that runs monthly uh, called ABI FYI. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Yeah, sure. Sure. Hi, I'm Melanie Smythe. Um, I'm an occupational therapy student from Queen's University, and I'm currently doing a placement with Nicole. Okay. Mm. Great, great. Did you uh, have uh, a particular interest in working with this type of uh, organization? Definitely, yeah. 
Thanks. Okay, cool. Let's talk about uh, the Brain Injury Association of Peterborough. How, how long has this organization been around, and what's what's a bit of history on, on this place? Okay, so we have been in, ex- in existence since 1988. Um, the Brain Injury Association was started by um, some moms who had some very... Uh, some, uh, they had sons who were injured and there was no support in place back in 1988. So it started around um, a kitchen table and then it became a support group in uh, a space that they could rent um, and it's just grown to where we are now. Um, we're funded through the local health integrated uh, network um, and um, through Central East we have um, $989,000 of funding, which allows us to do some really um, um, great work with the individuals that may have uh, funding to uh, be able to work with rehab uh, services or may not. So we have a, a very wide um, um, variety of individuals that we're working with here at the association. Um, and I'm going to let Nicole speak to more about the rehab part of So we, we've had this amazing um, collaboration with Nicole mm-hmm. in that uh, we realized there was a, a, a gap in service that um, we weren't able to meet with the information um, required around living your life with a brain injury and so that's what the ABI FYI information education support group grew out of. <laughs> it's a nice acronym. Yeah, it, it is, uh, it's an incredible, it's been going for about a, a year and a half now um, and through some recent uh, one-time funding we were able to take it into the Northumberland County um, and had eight sessions through the uh, month of uh, March. So, What do those sessions look like? Yeah, what's that all about? Yeah, so the information session is an hour and a half. Um, The group is open to uh, members of the association, but also to members of the public, caregivers, family. Uh, So I think that's something that's unique about this group, um, that it's really open for all people to attend and and, uh, get the information. Um, So there's usually like a PowerPoint presentation on a specific topic, um, like headache management, stress management, uh, communication after brain injury, uh, coping with emotions. Uh, so we'll sort of go through the material, but I, I think the thing I like about the group is uh, we do have a couple of opportunities where people can kind of share information between each other, uh, and I think that's uh, one of the most v- valuable things, to be able to have peer-to-peer interactions, and you know, people can share their own uh, experience and what's worked for them or what hasn't. Mm. Um, so I've really enjoyed being uh, a part of this uh, group. Um, I learned so much from the people who attend, uh, and you know that helps me personally and professionally as well. Uh, and I carry some of that uh, knowledge into my day job. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, ABI FYI, I think um, is something that's growing, and that's really exciting. Right on. And uh, are there any great mysteries that have been uncovered or, I mean, amazing uh, great stories that you could share? I guess the stories of those conversations are probably really compelling and and some of the things that come out there, whether they might be confidential or not. But Yeah, yeah. So so one of the things that I can um, share with about the success of the ABI FYI was, as I said, it was a gap in service for us. So we have we have the funding that we can support individuals either um, in their home, in their community, um, individuals that have identified as wanting um, support through 
in their their day-to-day life. Um, We also have our ABI day service downstairs where individuals can attend and spend the day with us and uh, therapeutic rec interventions um, happen. Um, It's it's, uh, meaningful engagements um, as, as the individual Wants right, mm-hmm. so it's it's not it's some group programming, but it's not all group pro- programming. What the ABI FYI has allowed us to do is meet the needs that were beyond our current service delivery. So we had we had family. It's it's really interesting to attend a group. You have you have uh, an individual who's living with brain injury. You have their caregiver, spouse, partner, friend. You have uh, students who are new to brain injury who want to learn more about it. Um, we have friends. Um, it's, it really is a dynamic group in that um, they're coming and they're, they're getting information about brain injury. And then in the breakout sessions, there's peer-to-peer support as well. So it helps to normalize mm. life. I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I've seen, what I've witnessed is that it, um, it is um, a very welcoming environment to um, access information that you might not have been able to. So there are lots of supports online um, that you can, the internet is a, a wealth of information. What this is, is that at a deeper level because you have an OT there that can speak specifically to um, the challenges of living with brain injury. And then you have the caregiver experience. Elaine, you have attended a lot? Yeah, so Nicole will do some case studies of what she experienced, but people in the room have experienced, so she's very welcoming at asking us to share what are some strategies that you personally dealt with. Mm because brain injury is so unique to every individual. There's lots of symptoms that are very much the same, but the intensity of the symptoms or the specific symptoms themselves manifest very differently from person to person. And so we're able to share that and hear what other people have to say and go, oh, that maybe is a strategy that might work for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's one strategy that uh, someone may say that, you know, doesn't work in your situation, but it may work for someone else in the room. And that's the really kind of dynamic part of it and uh you know and then you know we're open to ask questions for both nicole and melanie like uh, melanie we're allowed to you know say like what would happen if this and they would give whatever feedback they can and and that's very helpful because um with the brain injury you get so much support for a while um if financially offered and then it's done and Mm -hmm. then if you can't afford it it's like okay and people often forget that sometimes people with brain injuries we don't have great memories, so it's like, I know that strategy, but I can't remember exactly what it is, and this helps to bring it back, right, because you talk about it over and over, and that's a really, you know, helpful aspect. Yeah, well, I guess every brain is unique, and, and when we go and rewire them accidentally, we never know what's, what the outcome is going to be. Exactly. So can we talk about that a little bit, talking about the actual uh, active in brain injury, I guess? Uh, what kinds of folks are you dealing with? Like, what kinds of injuries, how, how do they get these kinds of injuries? There's probably a lot of misconceptions, but they're not all sport, uh, sports injuries, are they? Mm-hmm. Sports would be one way that um, people might have a brain injury. Motor vehicle accidents, falls, assaults um, are other ways um, that people can get an acquired brain injury or having a stroke. Um, so the people that I work with um, daily experience like a cluster of symptoms. So there's emotional symptoms, there's cognitive symptoms, um, behavioral symptoms, 
Um, and this really affects, uh, and physical symptoms, and this affects people's, like every activity that they engage in might be affected by their injury. Uh, so I think as a therapist, it can be challenging to try to uh, tease out things. Um, it can be overwhelming to experience a brain injury because of how global the effects are. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really takes uh, an individualized approach. Uh, to try to figure out how to help um, a particular person. Um, and as a therapist, an occupational therapist, we sort of look at the person, uh, their environment, and their activities, uh, and how those things are interacting together. Um, but, you know, I think we also try to look at people's strengths as well uh, and tap into all of the um, existing supports that they have around them. Um, so I think recovery from a brain injury is just inherently complicated and uh, takes a lot of time and patience. And of course, patients might be in short <laughs> supply um, after a brain injury. It's so difficult to navigate the system as well. So uh, to try to find like the specialized help that you need, uh, I think is really challenging in our public system. Uh, and again, I think that's why this group is so great. It just sort of gives a platform for people to come and get uh, information that they probably really need, uh, that they might not be getting uh, through the public health care system. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a great opportunity. ABI, <coughs> FYI, uh, experts and people with lived experience sharing best practices right. and being able to connect you with the services that you need. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder. It's really exciting. Um, we're talking about being able to take this into Northumberland County once uh -huh. a month as well. So uh, the pilot project that we just, uh, through the one-time funding, um, has revealed that this will work in other counties as well, and there is a great need there. So um, we're in the works for talking about launching that in the fall. Is there an equivalent organization in other areas? We are it. You are so it. So we are the Brain Injury Association of the four counties. Uh, so, Peterborough City and uh, County, Northumberland, um, City of Cortha Lakes, Halliburton. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm really curious, how many people are living in Peterborough with an acquired brain injury? Do you have any guess? Or how many people do you serve, I guess? So, so we're currently uh, supporting, um, we have a number of different functional centers. So, in our ABI personal support and independence training, that's our, um, that's the, our client service coordinators and our uh, community support worker that goes out into people's homes and into the communities. Um, so, we're supporting 240 individuals in that functional center with over 7,900 hours of care. Um, in our ABI day service, so we have ABI day services downstairs, Monday through Friday, 9 to 3, and we also have a day service in uh, Lindsay, um, one day a week on a Friday. Uh, we're supporting 135 individuals um, with uh, 7,600 attended days, so people are attending that many days. Um, commu uh, community case management and coordinated care cafe will really um, coordinated uh, care cafe. Yes, that's what we call it. Ooh. So we'll show you the. Uh, we can take a tour and show you. It's uh, that's relatively new funding. We've had it uh, for a year and a bit now, and it's also uh, Lynn funded, local health integrated, Central East Lynn funded. Um, we're really excited about that. That's a new service delivery where we have a case manager, um, the CC Cafe, we call it, who, <laughs> where we have a rec therapist who works with the individuals who attend that day program um, or day service. And we also have a um, 
a complex caseworker that is able to go out into the community to doctor's appointments, into the individual's homes. The, the clients that we're supporting in the CC Cafe uh, are living with brain injury, mental health and addictions, might be precariously housed near homeless, have some that we're supporting that are homeless. So okay. we work very closely with our community partners in supporting these individuals. And the other functional center that uh, we're funded for is our health promotion and education and community development. Um, so that's our uh, system navigator. Her name is Deborah Prescott. And um, individuals that may be um, being, um, um, they're in rehab out of the community here and they're going to be coming home to this community, Deborah may, may be. Um, um, contacted to support them in that transfer of, of service back to the Peterborough uh, area. Peterborough uh, orientation. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, or there may be, there might be somebody that just doesn't fit into service criteria as it exists, um, and Deborah will help with the navigator. She's part of the uh, 14 system navigators across the province, um, and they meet uh, monthly and talk about brain injuries, so, uh, and service delivery and what's working in other regions and what we could maybe uh, look at doing here. We're really happy to be able to share some of the things that we're doing uh, at BIAPR um, because I think it's exciting and we're very fortunate to have the funding to be able to try new things. Um, and the ABIFYI, um, I can't divulge who, but uh, there was a very generous uh, donor who um, made a donation to the association for us to try new service delivery and, and support our clients. So, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm wondering who your, your clients are actually on the ground. So you mentioned that there are some folks who, who are struggling with a, a package of things, and mm -hmm. some of those are the, the ones that need the most kind of service. But mm -hmm. there, there's probably a range of folks. And, there is. And I, I imagine that, uh, that you have young people and you have older people and you have everybody in between. Is that, is that the case? It is. It is very much that uh, every brain injury is unique and... Every one of us, whether we know it or not, have have a family member or a friend or somebody who has experienced um, brain injury. We now know that a concussion is a brain injury. Uh, they've used the term mild traumatic brain injury. There's nothing mild about any brain injury. Uh, so it's kind of uh, something where we we don't use the MTB I, uh, moniker too much of a concussion. So I think for us, um, with the awareness being raised for uh, the fact that a concussion, doesn't matter how you've um, experienced your concussion, whether it's through um, sports or falling on the ice or um, getting hit on the head by a door or whatever, um, I think it's important that... Uh, and there's some really good work being done uh, by the Ontario Brain Injury Association and uh, Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation um, with the concussion guidelines. And um, uh, the, the, the discussion is just beginning. and It's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a hot topic, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah a lot of things mm -hmm. have to change. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a football coach and official and past player, and I know that that sport needs to change or else we're going to lose that sport. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of misconceptions around that. And I think, you know, head injuries, we should be preventing those at all costs, mm -hmm. even if we have to change something really important. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, you were asking a little bit about who you know who are the people that we work with. Yeah. I think something that's challenging about brain injury is that it's sort of invisible. Um, so you know <clears throat> you might not not know that you're interacting with someone with brain injury, um, or it could even be you know someone that's quite close to you, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you know that they have a brain injury, um, but you don't maybe fully understand how it's impacting them. Like mm-hmm. the. Um, the difficulties are really quite internal um, that people experience and can't really be seen on the outside sometimes or don't really clearly manifest. Uh, I think that's challenging for people because, you know, with a physical injury, we can kind of see what the problem is mm-hmm. and sort of clear what you need to do to get better. Um, but brain injury is so much more complicated than that. And so I think sometimes people might uh, feel misunderstood because, uh, you know, they could be in a busy setting and experiencing like sensory overload. Uh, and they what you might see is sort of a behavior whereby they want to leave the situation or leave early, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, then you're sort of missing out on certain social opportunities. So I think that's a big challenge uh, with this type of injury. Yeah, because if someone has a broken arm, you know then they can't do something with that arm, excuse me, or broken leg, so you know what their limitations are. And because you can't see it, uh, you often get people saying, well, why can't you figure that out? That's pretty simple. And it was like, yeah, it used to be, but now it isn't. And and I, mine was as a result of a car accident, but I had <clears throat> multiple concussions before uh, due to sports and just because I was also an active kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And part of the thing over time was you always bounce back from them. You always bounce back from them. And you never understand that point in time when I can't bounce back from it. Like, <clears throat> my head's not broken. I'm not, you know, nobody can see what's inside of it. Um, the skull-wise, but the inside of it seems to be broken, and this time I can't seem to fix it, and I don't know why. And so you feel kind of helpless because it, it's kind of scary when you've always bounced back, and you know, two weeks later and you're not, and six weeks later and a month, and it's a year, and and then that's where these things help. And and uh, the Brain Injury Association was also really good in the sense that it was a point in time when you could come in and. It kind of fit, but it didn't fit. And so you mentioned to them about, you know, what is there for other people? And they offered then um, a support group uh, for people uh, that had it and had a, a supervisor in it. And now we have uh, peer-led support groups here as well. Um, and then through the association, too, they set up, uh, the province does it, a peer mentoring program where people who have had it and experienced it for a while can actually do phone calls with someone around the province mm-hmm. once a month to you know, kind of help uh, support whether their people are going through, uh, just to be an ear because unless you really experience it, you don't really know it. And I had concussions before and I don't think I experienced it because I always bounce back and when you don't bounce back that's when all of a sudden it's a, it's a whole different world. And you got to learn to it's a long journey, but you got to figure out the new you, and uh, that's not always an easy thing to do when you've been able to do what you wanted in the past, whenever you wanted, and now you're you limited in what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Do other people bring that up with you? I mean, the new you, I, I, I'm not trying to get too personal here, oh, but from my own experience, yeah. people mention, you know, you're behaving a little differently, you, you, uh, you seem a little bit uh, not yourself, and I mean, uh, that happens. Right? Yeah. So I, I was on a, a trip not too long ago, and, and we were doing things, and, and I felt bad because I actually had to go and leave and take a break and mm-hmm. then meet them up later for the evening. And uh, you know, I said to them, I hadn't seen some of them in 30 years. It was a softball reunion down in Texas. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't 
I couldn't do the whole day, and I had to take that break in between, and then later on somebody asked, and so I finally told them in a private conversation, and they go, we wouldn't have known. And, and that's, the, that's the good part. We don't want people to always know, right. but the hard part is then them not knowing. Sometimes they will do that. They'll think, oh, you're rude because you have to leave, or like Nicole mm-hmm. said, sensory overload in a, in a situation where it's like, Okay. I've had people ask, oh, you have your... Uh, earplugs in? Well, yeah, but they think I have a hearing aid, right? Right, right? And then it's like, no, it's earplugs because I can't drown out the background noise. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so it's those different things that um, that are kind of manifesting itself where it never did before. Yeah, yeah, yeah people are making assumptions. I mean, yeah. it, it is kind of a common thing for people or for groups in our yeah. show where you know some disabilities or some challenges, some barriers are really obvious and yeah. some of them are invisible and do you do you say hi? My name is Simon. I have a brain injury, or yeah. or or what? You know, and and uh, how do you how do you catch people up? How do you make sure that they know what your boundaries are and what you can do? Uh, it's an interesting thing. When it comes to let's say a business downtown, trying to create an environment for everybody, a really inclusive environment. What kinds of things should they be thinking about when it comes to being able to to provide a, a safe and comfortable environment for people with brain injuries? That is a great question. Um, there are actually simple things that you can do to have ABI-friendly spaces. Um, one thing could be lighting. Uh, like fluorescent lighting is really aggressive for everybody. Um, so having a different type of lighting or lower lighting or lamp lighting versus overhead is something simple that many places could do. Um, Recently, I tried to support uh, my client with a brain injury and paraplegia to go to a walk-in clinic in a small town, and it was actually inaccessible. (laughs) So even just having those little stopgap ramps uh, would have made a huge difference that day for that person. So just having a physically accessible environment. Um, Also... um, I mean, if we talk about sensory overload again, we could kind of consider uh, how noisy the space is. That's something that probably can't be controlled in certain settings. Um, But the volume of the music they play sometimes Mm -hmm. is. Like, Mm -hmm. when you go to the mall and every time you walk in one place and out another place, sometimes you walk in, you kind of walk in and you walk out just because it's Mm -hmm. so loud. If it was just a lower level, it would be great. But I get it. They're all excited and it's Mm -hmm. music is great. But you don't realize what it is until, yeah, it when, the, when the echo of people you yes. don't know and you're not talking to are bouncing off the walls around you and it's all around you and yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. dark cloud. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just lastly, like in a setting like a, a large recreation center, for example, just having um, really clear signage is, an, is something else that's really helpful just for wayfinding. Mm-hmm. Right. Stuck mm-hmm. in the middle of a big room. What do yeah. I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. June is a very busy um, month uh, for us, and there's lots going on, Okay, which is a good thing. That is a good thing. I don't have the number of the Brain Injury Association here in Peterborough, but I'm sure if you could find that number, they would tell you about whatever events are taking place, given the social distancing that we have to do, but wouldn't surprise me if they have come up with something virtual to get people involved with during Brain Injury Awareness Month. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a musical break. It's, uh, I don't know what year this is from. I, my guess would be about 1955 or 6, and it's Jack Scott 
and what in the world's come over you? The fellow singing the bass, you can hear him quite well. His name was Roy Lesperance, and he attended the same school for uh, the blind in Brantford that I did. It's now called the W. Ross MacDonald School, but back then it would have been called the Ontario School for the Blind. So here he is, Jack Scott, and what in the world's come over you? What in the world's come over you? Seems we never get along Every night I reminisce Dreaming of your tender kisses What in the world's come over you? Could you ever change your mind? I'll still be here, dear, waiting, longing for you. All my life I've loved you so, never dreamed I'd miss you so. Now alone in my room each night, my heart. It's just not right Oh, what in the world's come over you? Could you ever change your mind? If you do, I'll still be here, dear Waiting, longing It's just not right, oh, what in the world's come over you? You're still my angel from above, guess you'll always be my one and only, only real love. going to go back to June 24th of last year for our next interview. It's with a lady named Libby Thaw, and she's going to tell us all about a an alternative, I guess you could call it, uh, an alternative identification for people with visual impairments. Not everybody who is losing their vision likes to carry a cane. In fact, there are lots of people who don't. and uh, But they, at the same time, would like 
uh, people to know that uh, if they fumble or blunder or whatever you want to call it, it's because of failing vision. Uh, so uh, we have a lady in Port Elgin named Libby Thaw who has come up with an alternate way or alternative way for people to identify themselves with the Checkered Eye Project. Hi, Libby, and welcome to the program. Hi, Devin. First of all, do you have uh, a vision impairment yourself? Yes. I, uh, I've i been legally blind since I was about 18. started losing my sight at 12 uh, from a condition called Stargardt's disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was legally blind by 18, and I'm in my 50s now, so I've had all kinds of time to figure out how to operate this way. Yeah, right. And so when and how did you come up with the uh, checkered eye? Yes, well, I was chatting with uh, a few other people who are much like myself who have low vision but um, only use a white cane sometimes or just use it as an ID. And we got swapping stories of all kinds of situations where there was some kind of problem, but it wasn't the fact that we couldn't see. It was the fact that the person who we were talking to didn't realize we couldn't see. Uh, Um, And uh, actually, one of the people in the conversation was a a volunteer uh, for CNIB. And she said, you know, people have been asking for some sort of a badge or something. And um, I, as well as the other ladies, thought, oh, that would be a great idea. I would love that. Because there, we also had stories of times where we were using a white cane, but not uh, the typical way where you're actually feeling the ground with it. And people thought we were faking it or something. So um, we all thought a, a wearable symbol would be great. So I actually designed one. Um, and sent it off with a letter uh, saying, you know, I'm not the only one for whom uh, a, a wearable symbol would be a good option and that the ID gain isn't always the best option. Um, but um, CNIB said, no, we're just sticking with the white cane, so no, we're not going to take up that uh, project. So I thought it was uh, well worth doing, so I started it back in the fall of 2000. Okay. And uh, so it is a, a badge or a pin? Yes, and actually we have other formats now. You can get it as a couple of different size uh, pins. You can also get it as a sew-on patch. We also now have pendants, so you can wear it on a, on a chain. And you, you can also get it as a, a clothing-safe sticker. So I always keep one of those in my purse in case I forgot mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to put one on. And then I think, well, I, will, I wish I had one on right now so I can just grab the one out of my purse. So those are great. There's lots of different formats now. Terrific. And uh, in spite of the fact that CNIB has chosen not to adopt it, um, how popular has it become? Well, you know what? It just grows all the time. Now, the awareness is still not in the place where I would like it to be so that just, you know, everybody knows what it means and people in service industries know to have a glance and see if someone's wearing it. But people from uh, all over the world actually have been uh, getting checkered eyes, people with low vision, in six countries now. Wow. And the, the one that I uh, was most recent was just over a year ago 
the Low Vision Association of Thailand got a hold of me and um, they now have their own awareness effort and they make their own checkered eyes with Thai language on it, which looks really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, there are people all over the world who are using the checkered eye uh, uh, 18 years after I started it. <laughs> wow, that's terrific. It sounds like an epic uh, like secret society of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> no. The, the checkered eye. Yes. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, so how and uh, where can uh, people get these? Well, most people order them online now from, from the Checkered Eye website, which is checkereye.com. Um, uh, I finally uh, figured out how to get uh, a payment system on there, so we have PayPal now on the Checkered Eye website. Now, and there are, uh, I think, just over a dozen or so actual locations where you can walk in and uh, purchase one. Now, those are all listed on the Checkered Eye website. Um, uh, so, yeah, there there are three, of course, in Port Elgin, where I live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but there are uh, there are places in uh, like across Canada. Not a lot of them, though. So, like I said, most people do order them online. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe, if I think back, I do believe that I used to hear some public service announcements on television. Yes, <coughs> yes, we actually made one in 2006 and that got on the air for the year and at that time um it was it was kind of a funny story because i i had this very low budget thing made and uh did all the paperwork and it got on the air and it turned out that somebody mistakenly approved it because the checkered eye project is not a registered charity mm -hmm. and you have to be a registered charity to to qualify for public service announcement time so somebody so it got on the air for um you know yeah. without me actually being <laughs> so I thought, okay i better uh see how to go about this and i actually partnered with uh the port elgin rotary club so they submitted it um and actually we made a new one uh so that has been on the air across canada since 2007 Super. Yeah, so it, it only gets airtime when they have free time to fill. Yeah. So, because uh, uh, we can't afford to pay for airtime. Uh, but yes, it has been airing for 12 years now. The same one. Wow. <laughs> I, I would love to uh, get enough money together to make a better one. Mm -hmm. You know, couldn't hurt to make a newer one. Um, and, you know, technology has changed a lot. I'm sure I could make a better one now. <laughs> so, but that's, that one still, it's its serving its purpose whenever mm -hmm. somebody sees it. Or I often do get uh, people saying, I saw it on TV. Oh, and good. That's how I found you. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's terrific. And um, have you since become a charitable organization? No, no. We still, I, we, somebody gave me the term, we're, not, we're just uh, what you call a social enterprise. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, So, cause, because we're not registered as a, a not-for-profit or a charity, it just has a very simple business license, so if we make money, we can pay, we pay the tax on it. Mm -hmm. um, it still doesn't actually cover its own expenses, right. but uh, we can manage fine, and I always also like to let people know <coughs> that if they want to get a check for eye and they really can't afford it, I, I hope they will just let me know, and I will make sure that they can get it. 
because uh, the whole point is not making money. It's to get the symbol uh, to the people who would like to use it and to get the public awareness in place. Mm-hmm. So, so <clears throat> we're, we're managing still. Oh, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and how uh, do you find uh, there are other um, organizations other than CNIB, um, for example, the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians and um, the uh, Canadian Council of the Blind. Do you have some um, people in those organizations that have the checkered eye? Um, well, I, actually, uh, when people order them, they don't necessarily tell me whether they're mm-hmm. uh, affiliated with these groups. Um, but the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, um, actually, they voted back in 2003 to support the awareness effort. So, um, And at that time, right around that time, they published a couple of articles, which I wrote. Um, and, you know, maybe it's time to touch base again and, and to see what what we can do together because there are more and more people uh, <coughs> using the Shepherd Eye. And uh, if they could help with the awareness effort, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, you're speaking to the editor of the new new newsletter <laughs> for cool. the uh, AEBC. <laughs> right on. Yeah, we call it the Equalizer. Perfect. So we might uh, just have to do that in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We need to uh, collaborate again. Mm-hmm. So the uh, website address is? Checkeredeye.com. Okay. Safe and simple. And what will you see on the, the website? Um, on the website, uh, well, there's a basic description of, of uh, you know, what the point of the checkered eye is. There are, uh, there's a whole page called Downloads and Printables, Ooh. or it might be Printables and Downloads, where you can actually print things to help with the awareness effort. You can print our pamphlets from there. You can print letters to Chambers of Commerce. It's one, we have a letter to Chambers of Commerce. Because, you know, businesses, it would be terrific if all businesses understood the checkered eye, if, you know, if they deal with the general public at all. Uh, it would be great that they recognized uh, the symbol and its meaning. We also have a letter there that uh, is written for to, to bring to uh, doctors, eye doctors, mm-hmm. because they're, of course, a, a great source of information for people with any type of visual loss. Um, on the website, there's also a page of videos. So you can see our original uh, public service announcement and the current one that's on the air. Also, a couple of videos that were done by high school students oh. um, as a project in a, um, I believe it must have been a media class. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's there's the video there for a song that I wrote and recorded in, I think it was... 2017, All right. and that was really exciting because um, I I managed to enlist the help of the guitar player and harmonica player and also founder of the Downchild Blues Band. Oh, cool! Yes, Donnie Walsh, and uh-huh. uh, the Downchild Blues Band just ha- happens to be doing their 50th anniversary tour this year. I heard that. But yeah. uh, Donnie put guitar and harmonica tracks on the song. Oh, cool! And I also enlisted the drummer from the Crash Test Dummies. Oh, Whoa. Mitch Dorge. So he was. Really terrific as well. Put a great drum track on and gave Neat. gave me some feedback while we were doing the mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you know it, it's it's 
it's a song that talks about scenarios that the checkered eye would address. Um, and not, but not just that. It talks about, you know, living with vision impairment. And uh, I'm often told, well, over the years I have often been told, well, you look fine to me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. the song is called Doing Fine. I know I look fine. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's a lot of fun. And you can, you can get that on... Uh, on the website actually somebody asked me if they could download it just to have in their playlist and yes it's it's free it's available if people want to have it in their uh, music uh, to to hear anytime they want wonderful yeah and we are going to play that in a minute or two here i was uh, going to ask you what uh, the prices are for things like uh, badges and uh, pendants oh, yes. and things of course yeah um, the the pins, the two different size of pins are four dollars or four fifty. The sew on patch is six dollars. The pendant is ten dollars. And uh, if you wanted to get the stickers, we send you a batch of ten of them for four dollars. And they're they're a two inch sticker. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we're not like I said, we're not trying to make a whole load of money just to cover the expenses of uh, you know having them produced, and of course the awareness effort is the most expensive part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else, uh, speaking of awareness, that you wanted to uh, mention before we go to that song? Um, well, for people who like over the years, every once in a while, somebody who was a fully sighted person but just wanted to help with the awareness effort they'd say oh i'll buy a pin and you know it's it's like buying a white cane to support uh, services for blind people no the the checkered eye symbol like the white cane is just for people with uh vision loss so mm-hmm. we had a few t-shirts designed so oh. if somebody wants to uh support the effort and uh, buy something we have really groovy t-shirts one we call the smashed checkers so it looks like a checkerboard and the center is just exploding out of it <laughs> and we also have one that says blindness is a spectrum which has a really cool graphic on it the t-shirts are all black and the uh the graphics are white so oh. they're they're nice and uh, eye-catching yeah the, the blindness is a spectrum t-shirt's pretty cool it starts off with a solid solid white and then it is a spectrum all the way to black so it's really yeah. neat, really neat yeah Thanks very much. I have to tell you, I uh, I I have a graphics company who's been doing. Actually, it's the same guy I've had it for all 18 years. I think Phil. Shout out to Phil. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to have that depiction. So I I doodled something that you know with, that would look like what I wanted him to do. So then he sent it back to me with all perfect straight lines and and the the um, dots blending to uh, full blackout from one end to the other. And when I brought it to a meeting with my uh, a friend of mine who's a marketing expert, she said, you know what, I like your doodle better. Uh, so oh, really? The, the, the image is actually what I had doodled to show the graphics guy, and uh, he also was able to use my my own handwriting, so the text underneath it is my handwriting, too. Oh, wow. Cool. That is great. Yeah. All right. Um, We'll uh, finish it there, I think, Libby. But thanks so much for coming on with us. And uh, we wish you all the best with the uh, awareness. And uh, I know that uh, you and I will be talking again. 
definitely. And uh, people should uh, check out the checkeredeye.com. And uh, we'll finish by playing your song. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Devin. Thanks, Libby. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. It was. She has a pretty good voice, doesn't she? I think so. Way to go. Yeah, Way to I, go, Libby. Yeah, and I, I love the uh, uh, the background that um, uh, the uh, musicians uh, put together for it as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just learned something. Yeah, yeah. And not nearly enough people know about the checkered eye so that they can make a choice as to whether they're wanting to carry an ID cane or a regular white cane or... Just use a, a, a pin or a mm-hmm. pendant or whatever. 
Yeah, this, this has come up so many times with uh, with customer service or conversations about customer service. I mean, yeah. How do you uh, how do you walk into a business and then say, hey, here's the list of things that I need? I mean, just being able to to recognize something and oh, this person needs this kind of service. That's a that's a really good uh, way to do it. Yeah. Self identifying. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And not a whole lot has to be said or anything like no, that. If no. you're uncomfortable, you just... It's like uh, an FYI. Yeah, exactly. Just, just so you know. Yeah. Coming back to the present now, we've heard lots of controversy over the past couple of months about, yes, you should wear a face mask. No, you don't need to. Yes, you should. So when I saw this article, I thought... We should hear it, and then you can make your own decision, of course. So let's finish off with this article called Everything You Need to Know About Face Masks. Everything You Need to Know About Face Masks. Johanna Chiselman, Jordan Tamblin, Toronto Star with files from Laura Armstrong. Toronto Star, May 21st. 21-05, face masks, a seemingly simple piece of fabric that straps around your ears and over your nose note, always above your nostrils and never under, is now as essential to your leaving the house checklist as keys, wallet and phone if not more important since it helps limit the spread of COVID-19. For anyone still getting the hang of this new pandemic wear or caught wondering if they even need to wear a face mask, the short answer, yes, most likely, but more on that later, we've rounded up the answers to your questions. Why wear a mask? The Public Health Agency of Canada recommends you wear a non-medical mask when in public to protect the people around you from COVID-19 transmission. COVID-19 is spread by tiny droplets that people expel when they breathe, cough, or sneeze. A mask helps prevent those droplets from being expelled into the air. This may be particularly important as we begin to understand the potential impact of silent spreaders people infected by the virus who are asymptomatic or presymptomatic who may not know that they are infected. What kind should I use? If you're a healthcare worker or frontline worker, you are likely wearing personal protective equipment which may include medical grade masks. For people who aren't frontline workers, Public Health Canada has recommended neoprene masks, surgical masks, homemade cloth masks, face shields or even scarves or bandanas. Of course, Masks are not 100% effective in preventing exposure to the novel coronavirus. When should I wear a mask? A mask can help in situations where physical distancing may be more difficult, like shopping at the grocery store or taking the bus. You don't have to wear a mask when driving alone in a car or when you are outside for a walk, where you can practice physical distancing. Can I wash and reuse my masks? It depends on what type of mask you're using. If you're using a mask made of fabric or neoprene, then you can reuse these masks so long as you're washing them after each use. Surgical masks are one-time use. Public Health Canada recommends changing your mask, whether it's cloth or medical, when it gets damp, soiled or crumpled. How do I safely remove my mask and clean it? Before removing your mask, Public Health Canada recommends you wash your hands for 20 seconds with warm water and soap. If soap and water aren't available to you, use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Remove the mask from the back without touching the front or your face. If your mask is disposable, place it in the lined garbage bin immediately, then wash your hands 
once again for 20 seconds. If you're cleaning a mask that's reusable, then Public Health Canada recommends laundering your mask in hot water immediately after removal, then washing your hands again for 20 seconds. If you're on the go or aren't able to wash the mask right away, place it in a sealed plastic bag until you're ready to clean it. Be sure to empty the mask into the washing machine by holding onto the plastic bag and not reaching in to grab it. Neoprene masks are a good option because they're one layer, but they may not be accessible to all due to cost. It's a single layer, but it's a thick layer, so it's low porosity. For people less comfortable with wearing a mask, a scarf or bandana is a discreet and familiar option that can blend in with a person's clothes. The more layers, the better. A basic surgical mask does not offer the same kind of protection as an N95 mask, but these should still be reserved for healthcare workers. For a homemade mask, the number of layers should also be considered. A flashlight can help the more light that comes through, the more respiratory droplets could go through. Face shields may also be costly, but they can offer a better view and allow for facial expressions. However, they leave gaps on the sides. That'll do it for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.